0: Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant, and yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. Didn't they do a wonderful job leading us this morning in praise? Hallelujah. How about the message of that last song? All my life he has been faithful. I was thinking about that this morning, early this morning. Uh, Times when I was close to him, he was faithful. Times I was distant with him, he was faithful. Times I ran to him, he was faithful. Times I ran from him, he was faithful. Times when I was sober, he was faithful. Times when I was intoxicated, he was faithful. When I look back over these soon to be 46 years, every moment of every hour of every day, he has been good and faithful and kind to me. Can anybody else give him praise on that this morning? Amen? Woo! What a savior, amen? And uh, I'm telling you, I'm just excited the fact that he allows me to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bible, I wanna encourage you, if you would, join me in the gospel according to Matthew, all right, if you will, Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter 10. But y'all got quiet quick. It's gonna get quieter before it gets over. Huh? Look at that right there, you are like, what is he talking about? Just hang on, <laughs> you'll see. Uh, this morning, it's interesting that a message that God's placed on my heart, the title of it changed as I was preaching the last message, isn't that something? The title is Rock the Boat. And uh, so I wanna just kinda give you a little background as you make your way to Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to consider something, once you find your place, if you look up at me, I know that you've found your way there. And I wanna ask you a question. How many of you, now don't answer it out loud, how many of you love conflict? You just love it, man. Now it's funny, because most of us are like, nah, I try to avoid that. Some of y'all, huh? Well, let me put it this way. Do you know anybody who loves conflict? Yeah, and uh, so conflict. Now, for me, I don't like conflict. Anybody that's like me, Don't lie. I just don't like conflict, right? But now life's full of conflict, I don't like conflict. But there are certain conflicts that I do like, okay? Well, you look up and just go to smile a little bit. Y'all are intense this morning. And so, what I mean by that is, one of my favorite conflicts to get started, and I kinda get these things started sometimes, is the conflict between uh, my Blue Plate Mayonnaise people and the, and the Miracle Whip people. Some of y'all getting ready to fight right now, look at you, huh? I see you, you're getting ready to fight. And uh, I like to just sort of, you know, talk about the fact that there's no other mayonnaise except Blue Plate, and I tell them the Miracle Whip is not mayonnaise, it's a sandwich spread, whatever that means, right? Now, I can get them going, man, and, and you know, it's really easy for him. And one day I was in a group, and I had them kind of going on about that. And sometimes I just sort of get started to sit back just listen to them a little bit, you know. And there was one particular guy that wasn't saying anything, you know. And I know he's a blue plate guy. I'm like, come on, man, what's going on? I said, hey, what's for, I know you're blue. What's going on? He said, you know, he said, I, I just love all y'all, and, and I don't want there to be any, any conflict. He said, I just don't want to rock the boat. And truth of the matter is, a lot of our life we spend right there, don't we? Now, obviously... mayonnaise and Miracle Whip's not worth really rocking the boat over, but some things are. Matter of fact, I'm going to narrow it down and say someone is. And I pray that today before you leave here, a very sobering message would penetrate your heart like it has mine. And that when you leave out of here, you will in fact be willing, ready, and able to rock the boat a little bit. Okay. Now, With that being said, I wanna invite you, now that you're comfortable and situated, to stand to your feet with me, if you can, all right, physically, in honor of reading God's word. If you can't physically stand, stand in your heart, and nobody's gonna look down on you, and so I just wanna say that I'm thankful that you're here, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, as Matthew has recorded, a former tax collector. I love it, when Jesus saw him in the tax booth, and what he would do, he he, he worked for the Roman government, collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government, who, Uh, were treating his people, Matthew's people, he was a Jew, as slaves, if you will, occupying their territory and taking taxes from them. And how Matthew made his money was that he would would charge extenuating rates, rates much higher than what the Romans required, and anything over that, he got to keep for himself. And so you can just imagine why that term tax collector is used like it is so much in the New Testament. And the scripture says when Jesus is walking by, Matthew's in his, in his tax booth, and most people saw him, they would gnash their teeth at him a little bit, you know, especially Jewish people. They're selling out their people, right? And yet the Bible says when Jesus saw him, when he walked by, he saw a man. Isn't that beautiful? That he sees us and not our, our identity is not in our sin or our struggle, but he sees people. Isn't that, aren't you glad that he sees you today? And so he calls him, and as he calls him, now, and later on, Matthew is writing and recording the life and times of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, and here in chapter 10, he's recording where Jesus has called his disciples to him in the early part of chapter 10, and it starts out with a bang. He gathers them, and he says to them, I'm giving you all power. Look in verse 1. He says, wouldn't you want to be a part of this? He says, when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them, somebody help me, he gave them what? He didn't hand out candy. He didn't hand out little trinkets. He handed out power. Now, if we're honest, we'd all say, wouldn't it be nice to have a little of that supernatural kind of power? You know, what kind of power? Let's read. He gave his disciples power, only the 12. He gave power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Then he sends them out. So he says, hey, I'm fixing to supercharge you and then I'm going to send you out. You're going to be able to go out and talk to demons. Demons have to obey. You're going you're to cast out. Everybody you touch is going to be made well. And if you remember how it goes, he sends them out Later on, uh, this is a bigger group, a group of 70. When he sends them out, they come back, and they're fired up. And they're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. When we touch people, they're healed when we cast out demons. And Jesus said, here's what he says, settle down. He didn't say it that way, but I'm paraphrasing. Settle down a little bit. He said, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice over the fact that your names are recorded in heaven. And so now, this wonderful part of this chapter, he's empowered them to go and do what no human's ever done. And they're going out to do that now. As I don't know about you, but that's pretty pretty uh, spectacular start to the chapter. Let's all gather up. What are we doing? Jesus going to give us power to do what? Heal sickness, cast out demons. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> but then he develops a little bit long uh, on, along the way. He tells them some instruction in verse five and on down about how they go about doing that. When they go places and they receive them, then their peace will be on them. But if they don't receive them, to move on, dust their sandals off their dust off their feet and move on. In verse number sixteen, he begins to talk about the fact that they are going to suffer persecution. Now, I don't know about you, but I think all of us would have been all in in verse number one, but a whole bunch of us would start checking out about verse number 16. And so, he's, he said, now, now what you're going to find out is today's message is a little bit sobering, if you will, and he says to them, I'm giving you this power, you're going to go do this, but here's the thing, you're going to face persecution. People are going to hate you, they're going to make fun of you, they're going to mistreat you. You're gonna be found, they're gonna arrest you, they're gonna put you on trial for your life. Don't worry about what you say, I'm gonna give you the words to say, the Holy Spirit's gonna help you when to say and how to say. And then as he's walking through this, in verse number 32 and 33 he says, if you confess me before me, in other words, if if you're not afraid of what people say, or the conflict that'll come, if if you'll confess me before men with your life, then I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But on the flip side, y'all help me, if you don't confess me, I won't confess you, right? So I want you to think about that. Whoever denies me before men, Jesus said, I'm going to deny him before my father. So now remember the context. He's not talking about walking down an aisle in a church, okay? He's talking about going out into the world and facing the enemy, the, the darkness that is opposed to the light, and still living out loud for Jesus, no matter what anybody says, no matter how they say it, no matter the cost. See the difference? That's a lifestyle of uh, confessing Christ, Okay. Now, with that being said, we're going to move right into verse number 34. Now, you understand the flow in the context of the chapter, in the, in the whole book, now the chapter. Now, we're going to narrow it down to verse 34 to 39. That's where we're going to look today, okay? 34 to 39. Y'all there? Yes? Anybody happy to be here? Can we get a smile in the house and, and the Lord? All right, amen. Here we go. Verse number 34. Jesus said, you ready? So, he's got them together. He's got them fired up, giving them gifts, power to go out. And he says, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not y'all reading with me i did not come to bring but instead by the way a sword separates when a sword hits flesh or anything because of the sharpness of the edge and the thickness of the blade it pulls apart things you with me are not you glad you got that picture this morning right off the bat verse number 35 for i have come to set a man against his father a a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies Je- and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, Jesus is dealing with an issue of what he is worth to us. You see? If he's not worth much, we won't face any persecution and division, but if he's worth everything, we will. Hang, that, hang on to that. He goes on to say, in verse number thirty-seven, he who loves me, more, loves father and mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross, y'all help me, and follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He's talking about hanging on to what you have now here. But on the contrary, he who loses his life for my sake, right? Your popularity, your comfort, when you, your peace here on earth. Uh oh. Uh, he says, when you do that for his sake, you will, what is it? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute, okay? we well, I ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Would you do that with heads bowed and eyes closed? Somebody a guest this morning said, man, we didn't pray like four times. Yeah, because we're completely dependent. We can't do anything good unless God does it. So, Lord, this morning we ask you to do something good right now. This group of people have chosen to give this time and their attention to this message. Now, Lord, help me not to waste one moment of their time. Help me, Lord, in such a, to put the message out in such a way that the youngest child amongst to the oldest, most educated could get what, what you have already said and make application to our life today. Father, thank you that you've given me the gift to preach and the gift of your spirit. We've spent time preparing. Now I'm just asking you to do what only you can. Make sense of it all. Now, Lord, as you do that, help me to preach with clarity and boldness. Lord, at the same time, tune my ears into your still small voice. I want to hear from you. God, we want to hear, somebody else say that to him, we want to hear from you. And God, we came today not to be entertained, but to be transformed. So Lord, would you speak to us like a daddy to his children, instructing, encouraging, calling us up, that our lives may be glorifying you. And we ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus and the people of God said together, amen and amen. Thank you for that. As we dive in, I want to give you the title again is Rock the Boat, all right? And the title that I had, just so that you'll know, was the Confession that causes great conflict. Now, what I did is I tied on to last week's message, and I won't ask how many of you were here last week, all right, but I will say, if you did not get to hear last week's message, you can go back on the Facebook page and catch up with that, or you can go on the podcast, True for Today with Terry Fan, and find those sermons there, and you can listen as you're going to work and doing different things. Last week, we talked about the word, the title of the sermon was one word. I'm gonna see if you remember, I used an illustration of an older man. One word he said was the most important part of the Christian life after coming to faith. Does anybody remember what it was? Listen to y'all, consistency. Early group wasn't awake and I almost had to help them right there. Consistency, right? And we talked about the fact it was Hebrews chapter 4. And we talked about the fact that we ought to be consistent in our faith because we have a consistent great high priest, remember? And we were to be consistent in one particular thing, holding the confession, being consistent, hold on to the confession. Now, question of the hour. You know, you've slept a lot since then but what is the confession? There's one confession for all time. Uh, anybody who's part of the kingdom of God has this confession. It's one confession. He says, "Hold fast the confession, not your convictions, singular or plural, but one. Hang, hold on to your confession, right? And that confession is three words if you know it say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's our confession. That's the confession of faith. That's the confession of salvation. That's confession of the Christian life. The, the Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Okay? Three words Jesus is Lord. So today we're going to build on that. Because this confession, when Jesus really is Lord of your life and it's not just a Sunday morning deal, he will cause great conflict in your life. Okay? Now that's where we're going to start from. Aren't you glad you came? And so here we go. We're going to dive in. The title or the main idea of the passage is this. You ready? Share this with somebody at work tomorrow. Jesus brings division. Now, wait just a minute, preacher. I've heard Jesus referred to as the Prince of Peace. Doesn't that mean that I'm going to get along with everybody, everybody's going to get along with me? Heavens, no. Uh, I've heard it said that Jesus himself is our peace. So who are you to tell us that Jesus brings division? I'm just quoting Jesus this morning. So here we go. Y'all ready to rewind? See how quiet it's getting already? Y'all gotta help me. Just flash your smile every once in a while because these aren't one of those easy rah-rah messages. So you gotta come on, help me out, all right? Let's go. Number one in your notes, write this down. In verse 34, I wanna show you this, okay? this is all gonna point back to the fact that Jesus brings division. When Jesus is Lord, it's gonna bring you division. Jesus is the greatest point of contention throughout all history and all geography. Write that down. Not, you don't have to write all that. Just write, Jesus is the greatest point of contention. You can talk about God, you can talk about Allah, you can talk about all different kinds of things, but boy, when you bring that one name, that one name, the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved, when you bring that one name up, you got a situation on your hands. Somebody in the room is gonna be offended. Somebody is going to be upset. Somebody's gonna tell you that you're wrong. Somebody's gonna get aggravated. I had someone not too long ago, a week or two ago, ask me about um, my ideas of marriage. Now, it's always interesting to me that people ask me first, and we were sitting in a place, and they asked me my ideas on marriage. I said, I really don't have any ideas, but all I can do is tell you what I believe from the scripture, and I did that. And as I shared that with the person, okay, uh, what the Bible says about marriage, both in function and design for the glory of God, listen, they raised their voice, they were angry with me. Now, they don't know if I like Miracle Whip or mayonnaise. Uh, they don't know whether or not I'm nice or not nice. They don't know anything about me. Just asked me my, uh, my beliefs on marriage, and, and hated me immediately, hated me immediately. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. One of our brothers here today posted something this week and he said uh, something along the lines of, you know, when he was living his way, living for the world, he had all kinds of friends and buddies. But now that he's living for the Lord, boy, that group's narrowed way down. Why? Because Jesus causes division. Now you watch with me as I go along. So look at verse number 34 with me. Where do I begin with all of this? Do not think, Jesus talks to his disciples, do not think so what he's saying is, don't let your mind under the assumption that I came to bring peace, but specifically, he defined where. Do not think, don't assume, don't live your life as if I came to bring peace where? On the earth, on the earth. So Jesus is helping them to see, I didn't come down from heaven to make everybody get along. I didn't come down from heaven so that um, every, every person that's following me is going to all, people are going to agree with them and cheer them on. As a matter of fact, you're going to find the opposite. And that's why he says, instead I came and I, my, my actions, what I stand for, who I am, is going to be a dividing point like a sword. And so it begins to explain to them that their complete and total surrender to Jesus is gonna offend some folk. It's gonna offend some family members. It's gonna offend some authorities. It's gonna offend some folk in your life because you're putting Jesus in the place that they really want to be. And so as we think about that this morning, Jesus is the greatest point of condition. I wanna to talk to you first about the misunderstanding. What led us there? What led us to believe that Jesus came to bring peace on the earth, all right? Write this in your notes there. Number one, the misunderstanding. This is under Roman numeral one. Jesus is the greatest point of contention. Why? We're misunderstanding. What do we misunderstand? Luke chapter two, verse 13 and 14. In the New King James, the first I wanna say this. In that particular verse, can, can you pull that up for me in the New King James and have it on the overhead for me? And so uh, suddenly there was, y'all reading along with me? Uh, Suddenly there was a great, uh, uh, was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, where am I at? Shepherds in the field, right? And the announcement of the birth of Christ. Now look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he, that's the ESV, I believe. I was looking for the new King James. All right, coming back to that one in just a minute. Here's where the misunderstanding came. The reason I was gonna bring up the new King James version and the King James version, it says, Peace on earth, good will toward men. You've heard that before? Seen it on Christmas cards before. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Hey, we read that and uh, we get nostalgic and we begin to think, man, that means that when this little baby, God was, came down to earth as a, as a little baby born in a, a manger scene and he was born here and God became man and he's gonna bring peace on earth and everybody's gonna hold hands and sing Kumbaya and now that he's come, we're gonna have peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. And that is a poor translation literally of the Greek original text. The ESV, which I believe is what you have there, still on the overhead, is a more literal word for word in this particular verse. Listen to the difference. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among a certain group of people. Among those with whom, help me somebody, he is well pleased. Now leave that up there for just a minute. All right, first of all, we gotta, we gotta kind of wrap our minds around this because that's a literal translation from the Greek manuscript. Here's what it says. It says there's gonna be peace among a certain group of people, the group of people that God's pleased with. Now we have to answer another question. Who in heaven's name is God pleased with? Is it the people that come to church every Sunday? Is it the people who give all their goods away to the poor? Is it the people that always say the right things and never cuss? Is it the people who don't drink and never have done drugs? Is it the people who have never committed adultery and never had an abortion? Which are the people, under the sun that God is pleased with I'll tell you it's the people that are two words in him in who in Jesus there's no amount of good deeds that you could ever do no amount of bad deeds that could ever disqualify you that the blood of Jesus Christ can't save you and cleanse you and make you right before God how about that this morning amen now what that means is I woke up this morning and I said wow God is pleased with me I don't understand that because I'm a mess but he's pleased with me, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I wish somebody would get that this morning that if you're in him, he's pleased with you. Now, there may not be anybody else on the earth that's pleased with you, and you may feel like a total failure at everything that you do. You may be an overwhelmed mom with five little kids running around that you're trying to keep up with, or you might be someone who's trying to do work and family and home and all of that, and you feel like an utter failure. And I want to just say something to you if you're in Jesus Christ, he is pleased with you. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, that'll, get you to, that'll, that'll cause you to smile a little bit this morning. Oh, man, I, I was hoping it was. Some of y'all are just kind of looking at me this morning. So the misunderstanding, what was it? That this baby, that God become man, and the purpose was to have peace on the earth and goodwill towards all men. No, no, no. That's a mis, misunderstanding. It was peace to those with whom he's well pleased. Peace among the body of Christ, those who come to faith in Jesus Christ and are made right with him. Are y'all tracking with me? Yes. All right. Now let's move on and clarify for just a minute. Okay. So number two in your notes there, write the clarification. We're going to clarify that real quickly. So because Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, what in the world is it talking about? Romans 5, 1, right in your notes, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, having been justified, now that justified word simply means just as if I never committed a sin. Can you believe that? Can you even wrap your mind around that? That justified means when God looks at you, he sees no evidence of a sin ever committed. Now, how does it happen? Uh, justified by faith, not good works, but by faith. Faith in what? Or should I say, who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just point your attention back to this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, here's the word, we have peace, but we don't have peace with the world. We don't have peace with people who are one foot in the world, one foot in in the kingdom. We don't have peace with people who are wishy-washy and inconsistent in their faith. We don't have peace with people whose confession is not Jesus is Lord. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. And by the way, that's the peace that you need. And if you're here today and you've never found peace with God in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not too late. And when you do, I pray you take a, d- a deep drink from the well, spring of the living waters, Jesus Christ. And before you leave here today, you've got peace. You, listen, you can't imagine what having peace with God feels like. The whole world be against you. And you have peace with God. Hey, listen, you can rock on. Amen. You can keep on pressing. So let me just say clarification. We don't have peace with the world. We have peace with God and Jesus, that's where we have peace, with God. Now, second thing I want you to write down, and clarifying, just clarifying, John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. Write it down quickly. We're clarifying the idea that Jesus is the greatest point of contention. We deal with the misunderstanding, the proclamation at his birth, the clarification that we do have peace with God, but not with lost people. John fifteen eighteen to 20 makes it a little more clear as Jesus talks about the journey down here for the Christian, you ready? If the world hates you, y'all reading with me, you know that it hated me before it hated you. When when that person was barraging me there in the public, you know, just kind of just running roughshod, and I'm just kind of just, you know, trying to smile <laughs> as best I can, uh, I heard this little voice inside of my heart and head that said, that's okay, they hated me first. And I just tried to be kind, you know, in general. So listen, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before It hated you. If you were of the world, now watch this. There is a way to have peace with the world. You have to be of the world. You you can't be a child of God and have peace with the world. You can't. Did y'all hear me say that? You can't. All right, now let me read. He says, if you were of the world, the world would not only not hate you, but the world would love you as its own. This is what they'll say about you, the life of the party. Right? Right? They'll say, oh, man, they, don't, they never, they never point out anything wrong in my life. They don't ever talk about God. We just have fun, man. We just enjoy each other, and they'll love you, I'm telling you, until the moment, until the moment you turn your life over to the lordship of Jesus Christ and began, he begins a process of changing. You start living different. Watch what will happen. They'll lose your phone number. You'll be one of the loneliest people on planet earth. All of a sudden, those who are your brotherhood, will no longer know your name and where you live, and they don't want to hang out with you anymore because you represent light and they're darkness. The darkness has no dealings with light. You know why? A little speck of light always overpowers the darkness, always overpowers the darkness. You'll never go into a dark place with a tiny bit of light, and the darkness put the light out. So, of course, it hates us. Let me read a little further. He says, yet because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world. Now, somebody needs to hear that. Part of your salvation is the fact that, the the word for church in the New Testament is Ecclesia, it means to be called out. And what Jesus is saying here is that when I chose you, I chose you not to blend in and look like everybody else, I chose you to come out and live radically for my name. All right, that's what he said, Now somebody need to hear that, you you thought I was just praying a prayer, you thought I was just going to church, you thought I was just going to heaven. No, Jesus said I chose you so that, you'd come out of the world stop living like them and live different, show them that there is a different way, all right? Everybody okay? All right, y'all, three or four of us are okay. The other ninety-nine percent of us are struggling right now. I right, read a little further. He says, uh, "Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, because Jesus said I chose you out, and you don't live like the world, the world, help me, somebody, hates you, hates you. Have you ever wondered why? When you stand for something from the Word of God, and you don't have to be preaching, you don't have to be self-righteous, you don't have to condemn anybody. You can just do different, live different, and they'll hate you for it. They'll hate you for it. This is why Jesus said they would." And then he says, remember the word that I said to you. Now he says, let me remind you when you're going through that, a servant is not greater than the master. Now in this relationship that I have with the father through Jesus, Jesus is the master and I'm the servant. And what he's saying is, because I had a man tell me this not too long ago, he said, man, I'm I'm tired of getting made fun of at work. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to start being quiet. I'm not going to. And I said, you can't. The cost is too high. There's no way you can go be quiet and be silent about who he is that you know and, and what it is that you do. And you can't keep your Bible tucked away. You've got to go, man. And here's why. Because the service is not greater than the master. What's the point? How was Jesus treated here? Anybody? Anybody? Terrible. What's the word you would describe as to how he was treated? Persecuted. He was treated terribly, awful rejected, ridiculed, mocked, beaten, punished, spit on. I mean, and if the master was done that way, I as the servant should never believe that I'm worthy of something different. Now, living in America, that's hard, isn't it? We have a, if you travel around the world a little bit, you'll find out that we have a Western way of thinking. And we feel like that everything should be comfortable and safe and pleasurable. And boy, that gets in the way of our follow of Jesus. It makes us lovable to the world because we don't really do anything that stands out, okay? So let me read, notice I said we, I didn't say you, I said we. All right, reading a little further. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. So we're clarifying. Jesus said to his disciples, think about it. Y'all come here, come here. I'm fixing to give you power. You're gonna speak to demons, they're gonna flee. You're gonna touch people, they're gonna be well. I'm giving you power. But I need you to understand something. Walking with me, totally surrendering to me is going to cost you. There's going to be some division in your families, in your workplace. Let me go a little further along, okay? Let me move on, Roman numeral two, if you can, all right? By the way, just remember, it makes perfect sense that we would suffer because two opposite kingdoms can't get along together. One kingdom is built on the interest of self. One kingdom is built on the interest of selflessness, right? Jesus above uh, everything, The kingdom here is about self above everything. And those two cannot get along together. They just cannot. So you came to you think back in verse 34, do you not think that I came to bring peace on earth? And then he says, in case you're missing, I did not. You see how clear Jesus was? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, there's gonna be division. If you live for me, there's gonna be division. Now, let's go into a little more detail because he's gonna kind of flesh this out in the next few verses, okay? Number two and you notice write this down. When Jesus is Lord, when Jesus is Lord, it can divide our families. Did you know that? When Jesus is Lord, it can divide our families. Let me show you. Have time to write that down. When Jesus is Lord, it can divide our families. Verse 35, four, You're reading with me? I have come to set a man against his father. So this is a son and a father. Y'all got to help me now. I got one person talking back with me. Now, y'all know here, I don't preach down to you. We interact together. Y'all got to help me, okay? So Jesus said, verse 35, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, that last one, people say, I get that one. But... But in the case of the Christian family, it's different. I'll I'll explain that in a minute. But here Jesus is putting a contrast out there, a contrast that says just because the daddy is saved doesn't mean the son's going to be saved. Or just because the son is saved doesn't mean the daddy is saved. Or just because the mom is saved doesn't mean the daughter is and vice versa. Just because the daughter-in-law is doesn't mean the mother-in-law is or the mother-in-law. Is anybody tracking with me? What he's saying is, in this scenario of contrast, if one of them is a true believer and one of them is not, or not living it, there's going to be conflict. When dad makes the stand in his home and says, we are not going to play baseball and soccer on Sunday. We're not. We are setting that part that day for rest and for the Lord. We'll do it six days a week, but God says a seventh day, you need a rest. Your body needs a rest. You need to spend it celebrating the king of kings. And when a daddy or a mama makes that stand, guess what happens? Conflict. How do you know that, preacher? Been there, done that. For whatever reason, God made my kids good at athletics, and it seemed like everything wanted to be played on Sunday. And so, you think about the conflict that arises. Look, what's Jesus doing? He's preparing them so that they're not living this fantasy that, hey, everything's lollipops and gumdrops, and if Jesus is Lord, then everybody's going to love me, and it's going to be easy. No. It's going to be difficult even in your own home. Listen to how this thing plays out. In verse number uh, 35, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his, her, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies, listen to what he says in verse 36, will be those of his own household. Those of his own household. I'll just tell you a story about a man named Bryce. Bryce led worship at a church in the area. I preached a revival there a number of years ago. During that revival, and he was the worship leader there, but he also was leading worship for the revival Bryce got saved about the second night. You see, just because you lead in worship and just because you've been in church since you are a kid doesn't mean that you're born again. And on that night, he got born again. He was born again. He gave his life to Christ, turned it, surrendered it over to the Lord. And when he did, he was changed. See, when you come to faith in Jesus, things change about you. So he goes home, and he begins to live Jesus as Lord. He lives the confession. Now, remember, last week we said that confession, Jesus is Lord, is going to be challenged from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. Jesus is Lord over over. what are you going to do with your first hour. Jesus is Lord over how much you eat at breakfast. Jesus is Lord of what you're going to listen to on the radio. Jesus is Lord of how you interact with your coworkers or, or your teacher or your classmates. You, you see, it's a series of challenges against Jesus is Lord. And so because of that, as this thing unfolds, and I'm, I'm learning that Jesus is, is Lord, and there's going to be division, uh, Bryce comes home, and he makes some decisions. He starts living out his faith, and here's what his wife says to him after about a week. She says, You're taking, I get a phone call, and then when the phone call rings, it's Bryce. I say, hey, Bryce, how's it going? And Bryce is weeping, and I said, Bryce, what's the matter? He, said, he starts telling me that my wife is, is, is angry with me, this, and my first response was, Bryce, what have you done? And Bryce finally squeaked the words out. He said, she told me that I'm taking this Jesus thing way too serious. And she's moved out. And about, I don't know, three or four months after that, Brother Jimmy, something along those lines, they they were divorced. Because Bryce chose to live the confession that Jesus, listen to me, when you really stop playing, playing games and one foot in, one foot out, you look one way Sunday, you look a little different here and there, but you never talk about it, you never really apply the confession to the rest of your life, when you really start going all in, what will happen is you'll find out people you think are in really aren't in. Amen. And so she left him, was gone, and they were divorced. Well, sometime after that, uh, Brother Jimmy had the opportunity uh, to lead his wife to Christ and to perform their remarriage. How about that? And so some of y'all are like, whoo, that's good news. Y'all are looking sad. Aren't you glad have some good news this morning? Yeah. And so division. And when you, when you, listen, when you start living for Jesus, some of you are gonna, you're gonna find out. If you start living all in for Jesus, you'll lose your best friend. They don't wanna hang out with you anymore. You take this Jesus stuff way too serious. And the reason some of us have never lost our best friends is because we don't take Jesus very serious. And I want you just to kind of mull over that for a minute. Think about how many times you've been made fun of. Think about how many times people have gotten angry with you because of what you're not willing to do. You're not pointing to them, you're just not willing to do it yourself. And I want you to think about how many times you've taken this thing so seriously that this decision that Jesus is Lord, the confession of your faith that you're holding consistent to has offended the people around you because you won't compromise. So Jesus is, causes division. When Jesus is Lord, it can cause division even in our families. You with me? So you see, the sense it makes, if somebody's in the kingdom and somebody's not in the kingdom, it's two subjects of two different kingdoms. And if one is still a part of the kingdom of darkness, they've not been born again, and one is part of the kingdom of light who has been born again, and Jesus is the only difference, they cannot get along. They cannot see eye to eye. They cannot have peace. It's opposite in every way. And so Jesus... When Jesus is Lord, it brings division even in our families. Number three, we're at the last one. Can you believe that? Y'all thinking about lunch already, aren't you? See, this message is hard when to preach. you hear how quiet it is in the room? Y'all ought to try sometime get in front of a room of 550 people, every seat taken, and preach it. And not a sound. You can't even hear a page turn. It's just silent. So number three, when Jesus is Lord, listen, it'll also test our allegiance. It'll test our allegiance. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you hear the word allegiance? I think about America, I think about uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, right? That's the first thought that comes to my mind when I hear the word allegiance. I was thinking the other day about how when we were little kids, y'all remember, and I don't think they do it anymore, but at the beginning of class, we'd stand up. Y'all remember? And they'd play, and we'd, we'd say the pledge of allegiance, and we'd pledge our allegiance to the flag. And, and so, think about allegiance. Allegiance has to do with authority, okay, all right? So let's read a little bit uh, on down into this passage. In verse 36, a man's enemies will be in his, of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying not that you should hate your parents or hate your children, but that I am superior. That that my love and my commitment and my surrender, it can't, listen, it can't weigh the opinions and the attitudes of my mama, my daddy, my wife, my kids. It can't wait. None of that matters because Jesus is the only one who knows me really, how wicked I am, and the only one who went to the cross to purchase me, the only one who put his spirit in me to transform me, and the only one who's going to lead me all the way home. Nobody else, not Tina, not any of my kids or grandkids, none of them, not any of my best friends, nobody. And so you and I, listen, have to be careful that we don't let them influence our level of commitment. I was talking to a man who's in the room. I'm going to remain nameless just because. You see, he was having a conversation with his daddy on the phone. And he started talking about his faith, and they had started having conflict. Can you believe that? And the man said to his daddy, I'm not going to hide my faith. And he said they hung up, and he hasn't spoke to his dad since. You know why? When Jesus is Lord, it'll cause conflict in your family. It will. Finally, when Jesus is Lord, it'll test your allegiance. Let's talk for just a minute about what that means, all right? So first we talked about, what we just left is the fact that Jesus is superior in love. We should love no one more than we love Jesus. Not our mama, not our daddy, not our children, all right? But now he moved into the follow me, and that is allegiance, okay? So read with me, if you will, verse 38. And he who does not take up, you're reading with me, his cross, and here's the key word, follow after me. He is not worthy of me. In other words, he's not understood my worth and my value that I'm not like anybody else he or she knows. And so I want you to think for just a minute about whose allegiance are you following. And I say sometimes I do things based on what my kids want. I do things sometimes based on what my wife... You ever do something based on what somebody else wants? Anybody in here besides me, raise your hand if you do that. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing unless... It comes in conflict with my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that's when it's, does that make sense to you? See, Jesus isn't teaching his disciples here not to, not to do some things because their husbands or wives want them to. He's not teaching him not to do things because our children want us to do that, right? But what he's saying is our allegiance has to be to him over every other thing. And that we are led by him and not trying to lead him. Anybody with me? You ever catch yourself doing that? Now, Lord, she's beautiful and I want her and I want you to bless this marriage because I'm going to marry her. Lord, I don't like this job and it's difficult here so I'm going over here to this job and Lord, I need you to bless it. And what we do oftentimes, we reach back and grab his nail scarred hand and we try to drag Jesus and say, we're going this way. And I want you to do what I say do, bless it. And you You see the difference there of instead saying, now, Lord, you show me who. I'm looking at a group of youth right here and most likely mom and dad have taught them to pick their occupation based on pay and stability and when we ought to be teaching you guys to pray and ask God exactly what He wants you to do and how He wants you to do it. Trusting Him. When you're choosing who it is you're going to attach your life with, and by the way, I need to say this to every person in the room, if you're single and in hopes of being married, please, whatever you do, be more careful about that than any other decision in your life. And so we, Jesus says, listen, I'm allegiance to him above all things. And so it's a matter, matter of surrender. Now, let me just kind of talk through a couple of these things. I'm going to give you a list of three things about testing our allegiance. First thing I want you to write down is when Jesus is Lord, first of all, this is, this is key to it all, we must die. We have to die. Now, some of y'all need to wake up because they're going to live out here and say, the preacher said, I've got to die, you know, <laughs> and you're going to miss the context. This context is Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Do you all know what that verse is? It's gonna be on the overhead for you. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, crucifixion is a picture of death. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, I'm still in the flesh, so the life I live, y'all help me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live where? In the, is it not on the overhead? Oh, that word wasn't on that verse, was it? Y'all are trying to say, we don't know what it says. In the flesh, I live by faith, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I, I can't weigh what Tina thinks. I can't weigh what my kids or my grandkids think. I can't weigh what you think. Um, I've got to weigh first and foremost above every other thing. What does God say about it? What does God, how does God say in his word? He feels about it. And what is he nudging me by his spirit in conjunction with his word? How, what am I supposed to do about it? And then, listen now, this is going to be harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Then the chips fall where they may. And I trust him with all of the outcome, right? We're supposed to trust him with the outcome. So there has to be a dying of self. Second thing I want you to write down, when Jesus is Lord, we have to follow him. And I touched on that a minute ago. We can't lead him. We've got to follow him. Some of us claim to follow Jesus when really what we're being led by is our opinions, Or by pressures from our husband or our wife. I wonder how many of us in here, our our walks with Jesus would look different if we didn't care about what our husband or wife thought. I wonder how different it'd be if we didn't care what our other classmates thought. We just said, I'm throwing caution to the wind. Jesus is worth it. I'm all in. I believe somebody's gonna do that this morning. It's the reason I showed up. Thirdly, and finally, in verse number 39, write this down. When Jesus is Lord, we find life abundantly. Now, you see, Jesus was speaking very straightforward, wasn't he? He says, you imagine, hey, I'm going to give you power. I I can imagine me being one of the 12. We're circled up, you know. Can you see it, Shane? He's got us all huddled in there. And he says, Bailey got us all pulling. He says, all right, now I'm going to give you power. You're going to heal. I'm like, yes, just do that. Do that. Touch me. Do whatever you want to do. Let me go. I want to say, this is going to be awesome. And I can see me wanting to run out ahead, you know, before he got through talking. Anybody else like that? Oh, I got power. Let me go. Let me go. But But then he takes some time to instruct them. And he says, it's not going to be lollipops and gumdrops. It's going to be difficult out there. you got to be like, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, and you'll have to stay near to me, and you're going to face some division. There are going to be people who don't like you. You may miss some job opportunities. Hello, anybody out there? You may lose your job. You may lose some of your friends, right? But here's what he says in the end, in verse number 39, drawing it to a conclusion. He who finds his life, now he's talking about, here, and this word for life is the temporary life, what people think, people's opinions here, and, and the ways here, and job security here, and, and all of those things. He says, whoever finds his life here will ultimately lose it, because if he's not Lord, he's not Lord, and if he's not Lord, there's no, there's no journey with him and the afterlife. The second side of it, and he who, who lo- loses his life, in other words... I'm not concerned about the temporary things here. They're not going to influence how I follow Jesus. He who loses his life for my sake, listen to what he says, will find it. I talked to an old friend not too long ago, and he said, Man, I heard that you were preaching. And I said, You heard right. He said, I cannot believe that. I said, I know me either, even after almost 18 years. And we talked a little bit back and forth, and I said, I said, you know, I wish I just wouldn't have wasted so many years when I thought I was living. Because chasing your tail is a painful thing. You know what I mean? Like going from what the world says is pleasure, and it is for just a few minutes, but then you gotta do it again, you gotta do it more. And the emptiness of that when the the, the stuff is over, when you're sober, when you're not with that somebody, when you're not at the party, when you're not, when you're just, when it's just you, you know? And the emptiness and the misery that sets in and the longing, thirsty soul cries out, you know, because we were made for a relationship with God. But we try to hold all this stuff here and people's opinions and easy, comfortable, pleasurable life together, and we try to hold on to it with all that we have. We lose it. But if we're willing to say, Lord, if these things are in my life, great. If it costs me that, great. I mean, I'm all in. I'm rocking the boat. Then what he says is, in that kind of relationship is eternal life, abundant life. Jesus said in John 10 10 the thief comes not but to steal you know it kill and destroy you know what his greatest way to do it lure me and you away with the things of the world he doesn't mind listen you and I come to faith and, and we come he didn't, listen you the devil doesn't care if you come to church he just assumed you did as long as you don't come all in holding the confession that Jesus is Lord of your life as long as you don't start living that faith as long as you don't stand out at work as long as you don't rock the boat in the classroom and you just kind of blend in with the rest of your teammates, as long as you don't rock the boat and really make disciples, you just sit on a seat somewhere and be a user and not a producer. He's well-pleased with you. But on the other hand, Jesus is well-pleased when you and I are willing to rock the boat because Jesus is worthy. Let's bow our heads together. Would you bow your head with me? have a question for you to get started this morning. Here it is. Are you rocking the boat? Do you cause ripples on your team, in your class, at your workplace, in your neighborhood? Are you living enough of the evidence of Jesus as Lord in your life that people make fun of you? Is there somebody in your life, your husband, your wife, your best friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that their thoughts and opinions are keeping you from being radically committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I wonder who would be worth more to you today. I wonder if you get a picture of Jesus high and lifted up. I wonder if you'd get a picture of Jesus leaving heaven, coming down as a little baby. I wonder if you'd get a picture today of Jesus growing up, being rejected, ridiculed, mocked. I wonder if you'd get a picture of him going town to town, not even owning a home. I wish you'd get a picture of him meeting the woman at the well, the woman in the well who was thirsty, giving her a drink of living water. And then you'd you'd take just a moment, consider him as the woman caught adultery was thrown in front of him, and him wanting to forgive her rather than punish her. And yet still ridiculed, mocked, and persecuted, spit upon. Stripped naked, beaten, snatching the beard off his face, stripping his back, striping him over and over that cat of nine tails. Mock trials, marching him from one location to another. Nails driven in his wrists and feet. For you. Nobody would do that for you but Jesus. I wonder today if you start seeing him as worthy of your full and total unconditional commitment. I wonder today if you'd be willing to say, you know what, I've not been living that completely, and I'm starting with me. But like me, you'd say to him, God, I need your help. I, I didn't even realize it, but I've been, I, I blend in. There's not enough of the evidence of my love for you for even anybody to make fun of me. So may he right now tear down those walls in our hearts and minds and that we would simply see ourselves as servants of the master. Fully committed. Now if you're here and you've never invited Jesus to be Lord, here's good news, it's not too late. It's not too late. And whether you're in this room or you're listening out there somewhere or, or you're listening to this podcast somewhere at your work or riding down the road somewhere months, years from now and the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you, you've never truly been born again. There's no evidence of a rebirth. You can't even remember what happened. And so today, the Spirit is drawing you like he did. Lewis this morning came in, lost and separated from God. A grown man, and Lewis walked out forgiven as a child of God. And if you're here today, it can be you. That could be your story. You don't have to walk down an aisle to do that. Lewis did because he wanted everybody to know. But you don't have to walk down an aisle. You can do it right where you're seated. If you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for you and rose again, and you're willing to turn away from you being the Lord of your own life and in that moment receive Jesus, something like this with your mouth, Jesus, come, come into my life. I want, I want you to be Lord. He'll save you, justify just as if you've never sinned, cleanse you, wash you white as snow, give you a purpose for living. Now here's what I want to do, Okay. Just, just for my sake if you will so I know who to pray for know where to pray or who to pray or how to pray if that's you today if you know for certain he's calling you to salvation you don't have to come down an aisle that'll be up to you later on but right now in this moment I'm not going to come find you I'm not going to say a word to you unless you say something to me first but if today in your chair you know for certain you've not truly ever surrendered your life to King Jesus and you today that's what you want to do you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to do that would you slip your hand up just slip it up. There you go. Just slip it right up in there. I see you there. Just slip it right up. Any others? We'll slip your hand up and right back down. Today, I need to just invite Jesus to be Lord of my life. Just know you can do it right where you're seated. And in a minute, if you feel led, you don't have to, but if you feel led, come on down. Let's celebrate with you. So, Father, I pray you're drawing hearts home. You're showing us that there's no place in the kingdom for one foot in, one foot out. At all costs calls us to rock the boat for the glory of Jesus' name. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?